All right. Well, I'm not speaking this morning. Oh, don't say that. Wait until you figure out who's speaking. This this person is my favorite person in the entire world. And uh, she, my wife, Christina, is, that's right, she's in the process of getting her Foursquare license currently, and she has a calling. In fact, she's more of a pastor than I am. Uh, my wife genuinely cares for people. <laughs> You know, as it was coming out of my mouth, I was like, I probably shouldn't say it like this. My wife, she loves, she loves one-on-one time, loves taking care of people one-on-one, whereas I, that's more of a discipline of mine. I love all of you, by the way. You're, you, I love you all so much. Uh, but my wife, my wife, not only is she a true pastor, but she's a phenomenal mother and a phenomenal wife. And so the opportunities, the opportunities that she gets to come and speak it means that a lot of work went into preparing her messages because that means that she's here throughout the week in the office. Uh, well, she was here for a couple of days this week preparing a message, but then she's back at home as a mom for the rest of the week. And so her workload doubles on the week that she gets to speak. Uh, but it's all because God has been stirring something in her heart. And so she has something that the Lord has given to her as she lays awake in her bed at night. And uh, would you please give it up for my wife as she comes to speak? Oh, now I'm blushing. Oh, my goodness. That was very sweet. Um, good morning, church. I'm, I'm actually really excited to be talking to you this morning. And I don't, um, I just want to preface, I don't want to talk at you. I want to talk with you. And so um, my kind of, I guess, style that I'm kind of, working out, I don't know, is just more of a conversation. And so um, I want to tell you a story about something real that happened this week (laughs) with my kids, because momming, I think um, being a mom, it it prepares you to uh, pour into others and disciple others like nothing else, because um, you're discipling little unbelievers in your house and showing them what Jesus looks like or not. And then having to go and recover and apologize. But um, last week, uh, Gideon and Blake left. Blake went for work, and Gideon went to school. And um, Zoe walks up to me. I'm in the kitchen, and she goes, Mom, can I have ice cream? And I was like, Zoe, it's 8 in the morning. <laughs> no, you cannot have ice cream. And the look on her face is like, why not? Like, that's the most natural thing. Why can't I have ice cream first thing in the morning? So she musters up her little, like, doe eyes, and she looks at me, and she goes, please. And I say, how about this? How about if you're a really good big sister and you're a really great helper today, when Gideon gets home from school, we can all have ice cream. She goes, okay. And she walks away. So (laughs) a little while later, I hear Leo, our youngest, he's almost two, screaming. So I go, okay, let's go see what's going on. So I come around the corner, and I see Zoe, like, wrestling a toy out of his hands. And it was it was not the most gentle thing. And so I go, Zoe, what are you doing? She looks at me, startled. And I go, I thought you were going to be a really good big sister today and be a helper. She goes, I forgot. Here you go, Leo. She gives him the toy back. I was like, okay, well, she did the right thing, but I'm not sure that she did it for the right reason. If I hadn't come around the corner, she probably wouldn't have done that. But it, Zoe is amazing. She's she um she's really blossoming. <laughs> she's our she's our little wild one. 
And so later that day, um, they were playing outside. So Zoe, Vivian, and Leo were outside. And Zoe had come in to grab a bag of Teddy Grahams because she was hungry. And so she takes it outside, and she starts eating it. And Leo, the two-year-old, walks up to her and goes, Ah! He's not talking yet, so, like, that's, he grunts. So that's, <laughs> that's him saying, can I have some? And so she takes one out and pops it in his mouth. And this goes on for a while, back and forth, until she digs the last little Teddy Graham out of the bag. And just as she's going to put it in her mouth, Leo walks up to her and goes, Ah! <laughs> like, with this cute little, like, can I have it? And she looks at it, and she looks at Leo, and then she smiles, and she gives it to him. And she didn't know I was watching. And so I was just like, oh, see that? There we go. Her motive was love. She wanted to love on him, and she knew that he was little, and she was being a good big sister, not because I was watching, but because she truly wanted to. And so um, this this idea of our motives and what makes us do what we do and why we do what we do. Um, over the past few months, God has just been talking to me about it. And Blake was serious about um, in at night <laughs> when I'm laying in bed. That, for some reason, is when God downloads stuff to me. I don't know what it is, but both sermons that I've preached in the past and that youth group, everything that I have spoken from the stage has come to me at night when I hear Blake snoring next to me because he can fall asleep in like two seconds flat. <laughs> I don't know how he does it. It's a superpower I wish I had. <laughs> Same as Brad, yeah. <laughs> and so um, so I just lay there and God just starts dropping like little nuggets into my brain. And I know it's not from me because it's not something I would normally think. And my brain is going on, okay, tomorrow I need to pack Gideon's lunch. I need to make Hello? Is that a... Okay. Hello? Is that good? Okay. <laughs> so at night when I'm laying in bed, I just have like a constant task list to do. And then all of a sudden this thought will come in my head. Why are you doing those things? Why? And why are you thinking about these things? And God just kind of talks to me about what is your true motive? Is it to to look really good in front of other people? Is it to promote yourself? Is it, um, like, is it just to do it because we're supposed to do it? Because as Christians, there's a lot of things we're supposed to do, right? And sometimes we get caught in this trap of doing it just because we're supposed to. And that's not the place that God wants us to do things out of. And so I, I just see people all the time, including myself, doing things for God, and in his name, only to find out later that they have completely burnt out or they've moved on or they have left the faith um, or they're isolating or they have decided that Christianity is um, kind of like a brainwashing. Like all these things happen. And the thing that I have really discovered or the thing that I've been really God has been bringing to mind as we see this, as we see even pastors rise and fall, is what was the motive behind what they were doing? Because to me, if we dig that deep and we go that deep, then we can find the answer, in my opinion. And so um, 
this happens to new believers and people who have been Christians for a really long time. So I know, I know that like when we first repent and we first come to Jesus, we're on fire and we've got this like motivation to go do because we love Jesus and we can't believe what he's done for us. But after a while, it kind of fizzles out and our, and we begin to do things. We begin to go to Bible study. We begin to serve at church, not because we, it's an overflow of love because we want to pour out and we want to give back to God, but because we're supposed to, right? Does this happen? Is this just me? Okay, good. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> I'm going to talk to you guys. Um, and so we want to do what is right because why? Yeah, that should, yes, yes, that should be it. The truest test of any action lies in the motive and the reason why. And so um, as a Christian, we hope to do God's will and God's way, and we hope to do it with the right heart motive. But this does not come naturally. <laughs> um, I don't know about you guys in the room, but I am a go-getter. I am a person that is, let's get this done. Let's go get things done. I like to check boxes. I like to make task lists and check boxes because um, I feel like I'm accomplishing something. And so when Blake and I moved into our first house, um, we had a ton of projects to do. We were remodeling the whole house. And um, a couple months in, it was just going way slower than I thought it would. <laughs> Anybody else been there? <laughs> And so I thought, I found this little chalkboard and I thought, oh, this would be really cute if I made some cute little check boxes and I wrote all the things that we need to do, right? And because this will help motivate us, and by us I mean Blake, to do all of the things on the checklist. <laughs> and so, um, <laughs> guess how long it took us to check all of those boxes? <laughs> it took us six years to the day that we we moved to come here. So when we sold the house to move here, that's how long it took us to check all those boxes. <laughs> uh, anyways, I, I just, I like to have a plan. I like to get things done. I like to um, check, check my tasks off. And in the corporate world, this is great. This is like a very good quality because you get things done and you keep going. But in ministry, I have discovered that not so much. <laughs> and here's why. Because people are not boxes to be checked. And so I um, I think last year at conference, at Foursquare Conference, um, Blake and I were having lunch with a sweet couple that have known us since we be, before we were married. And they're actually, both of them are um, pastors. And so I, um, we sat down with them and I just started telling, so we had just moved to Ephrata. And I was excited that we were about to lead a church and I wanted to do a women's ministry. I wanted to do, I wanted to disciple people. I wanted to do all these things. And so I was talking to my friend and I was telling her all these things that I wanted to accomplish in moving here and how excited I was. And she listened very politely. Um, but when I was done talking, she looked at me and she said, um, Christina, ministry is not a task list of boxes to be checked things to accomplish, or people to get saved. Every once in a while, we get to check a box, and that's exciting. But most of the time, it's a long process of just loving people where they are at, and most of the time, never seeming to accomplish anything. If you're driven by agenda rather than love, you'll burn out quickly. 
And I am so grateful that she spoke that to me because something in me had to begin to, I had to let go of that idea that this was something that I could drive forward and get done because that's not what it looks like in the kingdom. Jesus, Jesus didn't come with an agenda. He came with a purpose. He came with a purpose. And so it's, this is hard kind of to comprehend because again, we live in a world driven by results. Um, we try a diet for a few days or maybe longer, but for me, it's usually just a few days <laughs> and it doesn't work. I don't see any results. So I give up <laughs> or we work out every day for a week straight and we give it our all. And then we look in the mirror and nothing's changed. So we don't go anymore. <laughs> right. We want to like, we see these ads on TV, lose weight quick and all these things that it's going to be fast. Right. Or we're going to see results quickly. And in reality, that's just not the way most things work. <laughs> But our world praises it. It doesn't matter how it gets done as long as we get there in the world, right? So you, so someone like Sarah, Sarah has been very inspiring to me. She has taken the last few years to get healthy and lose weight and, and not just to look good, but to feel good. And it's taken, it's a process of years that she's taken. So if someone steps in and sees a picture of her and goes, oh my gosh, I can't believe it, that, that that's you, they see the result. They don't see all the work that went into it, the years of work that she's putting in to change her lifestyle and to be healthy. And so um, we just, the world just praises the, the arrival or like we get famous, YouTube famous <laughs> or or whatever it is, but people don't see how much work went in before that. And what the path was to get there. Some people get famous by doing things that are not very good. <laughs> or um, or get to a result um, like losing weight by doing things that are unhealthy and not maintainable. And so God is not like man. God does not. God is not concerned about just the ends. He's concerned about the means. So the way that we get to where we're going. He is concerned about the heart and what is behind, what is our motive, the journey to get there. He's not necessarily interested in what we accomplish, but how we accomplish or how we do things. Does that make sense? And so if God is more concerned about the reason why are we are, why we are doing things and not necessarily whether or not they, they get done, then um, there's this tie to us. And, okay, so th- we know this, but then on this side, we live in a world, and we live in, with a heart that deceives us. We still live with sin. We battle sin, whether or not we're a Christian. And so um, I just want to talk about this idea of motives and this idea and this question that I want you guys to be asking yourselves as I finish talking. Um, and it's, so if you're a Christian, that is that you've asked Jesus into your heart, you surrendered your life to him and you declared that he is Lord. What is your driving motivation behind serving the Lord? Truly ask yourself. And then maybe even take it a step further and ask yourself, what is your motive behind the prayers that you pray? I'm just going to leave that for a little bit. Um, there's, there's a lot of things that can motivate us that, 
um, are not good. So guilt, is it guilt? Is guilt motivating you? The fact that I am supposed to fill in the blank or I was supposed to do this and now I, and I didn't. So now I'm guilty. So now I'm going to overdo it over here. Is it regret? Which ties in closely with guilt. I know I should have done this. So now I'm going to do fill in the blank. Is it fear? God is watching, ready to strike me if I don't fill in the blank. And it doesn't even have to be ready to strike me. For me, um, this this motivation, fear of of um, kind of not being in control. <laughs> like fear, I know I can trust God, but I also don't want to fully give it up. Because what if? All these what ifs. Is it religion? Have we fallen into this trap, church, that... We're supposed, like I said, we're supposed to do these things, but it's not necessarily for the right reason. Because religion, religion is something that is outward focused, right? So Jesus talks about this when he talks about the Pharisees. Religion is focused on how people see me rather than what's inside. And so, or, or is it pride? I, again, I do. I want people to see me praying. I want people to see me at Bible study. I want me to people to see me on stage, because then they'll know that I'm Jesusy, <laughs> right? We think this way. I'm not the only one. I know I'm not the only one. <laughs> but the Bible is clear. There is only one motive that God desires, and that pleases the heart of God, and it's love. Christians who are driven by anything but love will end up burnt out, bitter, and broken. And this has been true in my own life, and I'm willing to bet in yours as well. As soon as we catch ourselves doing things not out of love for God and out of this place of reverence and out of this place of, oh my goodness, I cannot believe what Jesus has done for me, then we fall in, for me, my I think the two is religion and fear. I'm, I do it because I'm supposed to, because I'm a rule follower, <clears throat> or I do it because I'm scared if I don't, blank will happen. Does that make sense? And so even in my prayers, I catch myself doing this. Sometimes I'll be praying and um, I'll say, okay, uh, God, help me be better at blank, whatever it is, only to examine later that I'm praying that because I want to look good, not because I want Jesus to look good. And so many times, especially when we've been a Christian for some time, um, over the years, our motives in serving Jesus can shift. It just happens naturally because we live in a broken world. We live in a fallen world that is prone to sin. And on this side of eternity, that's just the way things are. And so... We have this fleshly nature and this heart that desires the things of the world and desires selfish things, right? And so it's natural to migrate to motives that are selfish. Even if the things we are doing are good, we can go to Bible study. We can quote scripture, again, to show how Jesus-y we are. Or we can be doing it out of a genuine desire to know God, we can pray over, again, we can pray over loved ones who have yet to be saved. I do this sometimes. Um, I, I think about 
people that I want in my life, that are in my family, that I want to get saved. And I, and I go to pray and I go, okay, God, convict them, set them straight. God, that they would know that you are king, that, that the world is not to be bowed down to, that they would bow down to you, that they would get their lives straight. You know, there's this prayer, right? I don't think that motive is love when I pray that way. Or we can pray out of a place of true compassion and sincere concern for their eternity. There's a difference there. And as we serve Jesus, it's important to be consistently assessing our motives. Because like I said, this happens with new Christians and old alike. It doesn't matter where you are on the spectrum of Christianity. If there is, I might have just made that up. But (laughs) no matter where you are or where you place yourself, motives, because again, because we live in a fallen world on this side of eternity, things migrate to destruction. Things migrate towards sin. And so, um, again, are we doing things for Jesus because we're supposed to? Or are we doing it out of love for our Savior and Redeemer? Are we serving out of an agenda to change people to the way that we want them to be or we think they should be? Or are we fulfilling our purpose out of love for our Heavenly Father? Um, in his book, Love Without Agenda, so we are going through a Rooted right, right now, my husband and I, and um, this idea came up, I think, a week or two ago, and it was just has stuck with me because I just can't get past it because I do, as a, as a t- task-driven person, as a go-getter, uh, I tend to have an agenda. If, I, if I'm going to have like if I meet somebody that's not saved and I invite them over for dinner it's not because I genuinely love them it's because I think they need Jesus and I want them to get saved (laughs) which isn't right it's a good thing it's not a bad thing but I think God cares about the heart behind it and so in his book love without agenda Jimmy Spencer Jr. writes we can stop focusing on an agenda for others and find the freedom to focus on a purpose for ourselves While agenda is rooted in how we see others, purpose is rooted in how we see ourselves. While agenda requires us to conquer others, purpose requires us to conform ourselves. While agenda relegates us to coercing others, purpose releases us to appreciate others. And while agenda reduces us to a sliver of life, purpose moves us toward a whole humanity. And we as Christians may actually start to look and live like Jesus. So again, what is the difference between purpose and agenda? It's love. It's love. 1 Corinthians 13, 1 through 3. And I'm going to be reading out of NLT today. It's my favorite. Sorry. Not sorry. (laughs) says, if we could speak in all the languages of the earth and of angels, but didn't love others, I would not only be a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. Oh, I would only be. If I had the gift of prophecy and if I understood all of God's secret plans and possessed all knowledge, and if I had such faith that I could move mountains, but I didn't love others, I would be nothing. If I gave everything I had to the poor and even sacrificed my body, I could boast about it. But if I didn't love others, I would have gained nothing. The Bible says if our actions are not motivated by love, they are 
worthless. They're meaningless. This is heavy. Love is the only thing that is eternal. When we do things, it's the love that is eternal. In man's kingdom, right actions reap rewards, but in God's kingdom, the right motive reaps rewards. And so Blake read this scripture. I don't know if you remember last week, Blake was talking about prophecy, and he read this scripture um, because this passage in Corinthians is written in the context of using your spiritual gifts. And so we're supposed to use our spiritual gifts out of love for one another. And so when we use our spiritual gifts for anything other than loving each other, so even if we use a spiritual gift to, um, yeah, to, to do anything other than love, <laughs> we do so to our detriment and to the detriment of the body of Christ. So some I've heard people point out sin as a spiritual gift or like use a spiritual gift with that in mind to point out sin. And sometimes very rarely, yes, this is something that happens. But more times than not, we're said to, we're supposed to use our spiritual gifts to call out in that person who they are supposed to be, not who are the, who they are not being, if that makes sense. And so um, as soon as our motive becomes, again, religion, or on the flip side, approval of man, we might over-embellish something or a word of encouragement or something because we want people to like us or to like the, the whatever spiritual gift that we are practicing. We could be uh, motivated by self-promotion. Um, but anytime we use, we do something for God and in the name of God without pure love as the motive, we're not, we're not operating under the power of the Holy Spirit anymore. In addition, it's imperative that love is our motivation when we edify the church through spiritual gifts because Paul goes on to say in verse 8, prophecy and speaking in knowledge in unknown languages and special knowledge will become useless, but love will last forever. When we do things out of love, we not only make an earthly impact, but an eternal one. And so... Again, it's a difference of doing things for God rather rather than doing things out of love. And it's out of a love first shown to us by our creator. 1 John 4.19, we love each other because he first loved us. He went before us, church. He did it before he asked us to. When, when asked what the most important commandment was in Matthew 22... Jesus replied, you must love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, and all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. And a second is equally important. Equally important. Love your neighbor as yourself. So love, the true motivation of love, will result in an obedient heart. And it will also express itself in a desire for intimacy to know God more deeply. And so when we have a motive of love, so when we um, we serve at church, for example, because we want to give back, because God has done so much for us. It's amazing what Jesus did on the cross, and we don't let it, we don't take it for granted. We truly see 
that God made the biggest sacrifice and he did it so that we could have eternity with him. He did it so that we could be made right with him. Then it changes our perspective instead of, instead of, um, let's see, 9 a.m. rolling around. Oh, I have to go to church and serve the kids. Oh, it's, oh, yes, today's church day. Today's Sunday. I get to go to church and I get to love on kids and show them Jesus and affect their eternity. Um, I want to go ahead and read Luke 7, 36 through 48. In the New Living, it'll be on the screen. It's um, The headline is, Jesus Anointed by a Sinful Woman. I'm going to go ahead and read this story. It's one of my favorites. One of the Pharisees asked Jesus to have dinner with him. So Jesus went to his home and sat down to eat. When a certain immoral woman from that city heard he was eating there, she brought a beautiful alabaster jar filled with expensive perfume. Then she knelt behind him at his feet, weeping. Her tears fell on his feet, and she wiped them off with her hair. Then she kept kissing his feet and putting perfume on them. When the Pharisee who had invited him saw this, he said to himself, he said to himself, if this man were a prophet, he would know that kind of woman is touching him. She's a sinner. Then Jesus answered his thoughts. I don't know if you've caught that before. Simon, he said to the Pharisee, I have something to say to you. Go ahead, teacher, Simon replied. Then Jesus told him a story. A man loaned money to two people, 500 pieces of silver to one and 50 pieces to the other. But neither of them could repay him. So he kindly forgave them both, canceling their debt. Who do you suppose loved him more after that? Simon answered, I suppose the one from whom he canceled the larger debt. That's right, Jesus said. Then he turned to the woman and said to Simon, look at this woman kneeling here. When I entered your home, you didn't offer me water to wash the dust from my feet, but she washed them with her tears and wiped them with her hair. You didn't greet me with a kiss, but from the first time I came in, she has not stopped kissing my feet. You neglected the courtesy of olive oil to anoint my head, but she has anointed my feet with rare perfume. I tell you, her sins and they are many, have been forgiven. So she has shown me much love. But a person who has forgiven little shows only little love. Then Jesus said to the woman, your sins are forgiven. I have always loved this story. I think I identify with the woman. Um, before I knew Jesus, or before I had repented and gave my life to Jesus, um, I feel like the Bible is very clear to point out that this is a sinful woman. The headline itself says that. They want you to know that this is not the kind of person that Jesus should be seen with. Should. Right? And so I think that um, she she hears that Jesus is coming. And she has to find some way to show him how grateful she is. And how much she loves him. That he's come. And so there are a few things I just want to highlight. Um, so first of all, notice that it was a Pharisee who invited Jesus over for dinner. I think that's interesting because Jesus likes to talk a lot about the Pharisees and how much they need Jesus. 
And so I wonder, what, what was the Pharisees' motive in inviting Jesus over? I'm just curious. The Bible doesn't say. But based on what we know about Pharisees, I speculate that he wanted to show all of his friends that he's having Jesus in his house. That it was for self-promotion. In comparison, what was the motive of the sinful woman? What if Jesus went to that dinner, not for the Pharisee who invited him, but for that woman who was looking for him? And then he gets there, and this woman comes, and she's pouring her heart and soul out. Like, the, the most love and reverence that she could possibly give. She gives the, her life savings of this perfume. She pours it all on Jesus. She didn't save any of it. She emptied the container. Fully. Completely abandoned. And as she's doing this, the Pharisee is thinking in his head, Ugh! Oh my goodness, can you believe that Jesus is letting this woman near her? He's letting her touch her, touch him? And Jesus hears his thoughts, which I think is super cool, and responds to his thoughts aloud with the story of someone of these two debtors who are forgiven debts. And he tells us that those who are forgiven much love much. How greatly we have been forgiven, church. And doesn't that just well up in you as you think on that? Just this immense love. God, what can I do for you? How can I show you that I love you? I know nothing that I do could ever repay. Nothing that I do could ever show you, but I'm going to live my life trying. Because that's all I can do is glorify you for what you've done. When we remember what Jesus saved us from and the impossible debt he paid for us, our hearts shift and our motive becomes love. Our motive becomes gratitude. We are just recipients of God's grace. We didn't do anything to earn it. Even, again, even on our best day, the Bible says it is like filthy rags in comparison because we're not comparing ourselves to others. This is this is a pitfall we fall into. We're like, oh, we're not doing as bad as them, so we're doing pretty good, right? But the Bible says we're to compare ourselves to God. Yikes. That puts it into perspective. And those who love God out of an overflow want to obey him. Glorify him, please him, do his will, and know him better. It naturally flows. It's not something we have to strive for. So this is actually one of the reasons why I love communion so much, because it's an act that's meant to realign us with the reality of what God did for us. It's not just a cracker and just just a juice. It's, it's meant for you to introspect. It's meant for you to not take for granted because we, we can do that church. I, I find myself doing that all the time. Oh yeah. Jesus died for me. Cool. Woohoo. No, that's not what it's supposed to be. Jesus died for me. 
Oh my goodness. Thank you, God. How can I ever repay? It's meant to bring us into a place of humility. And so I love communion because it does. It reminds us of why Jesus went to the cross. Why did Jesus go to the cross? Right? Because he loves us. Again, we love because he first loved us. He went to the cross first. And Jesus, Jesus' deep love and compassion for a fallen humanity, a humanity that had sinned against God and chosen the world rather than God or chosen to sin in the garden, right? That humanity is who Jesus went to the cross for. And, and his love for this humanity led him to do something radical. Also that we can know God the Father as he knows the Father. Isn't that incredible? God, Jesus loved, there's, this, there's just this beautiful thing happening. Jesus loves God so much that when God asks him to come to earth and to pay the price so that we can have a relationship with him again, Jesus is like, oh my goodness, God, relationship with you is so beautiful and so good. I want this for humanity. I will do what you ask to make it possible for them to experience this. It gives me goosebumps. God himself does everything out of one primary motive. Again, what is it, church? I know you know by now. Love. Have you ever wondered what the Trinity, the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit were doing in eternity past? Before galaxies, before trees, before animals, what was the triune God doing? C.S. Lewis said, In Christianity, God is not a static thing, not even a person, but a dynamic, pulsating activity, a life, almost a kind of drama, almost, if you will not think me irreverent, a kind of dance. In other words, God, the three persons, danced around each other in self-donating, loving relationships. God lacked nothing. Within the Trinity was perfect love, perfect goodness, Perfect relationship, perfect joy. So why did God make us? Seems like he really messed up, right? (laughs) No, because love gives. Love has a tendency to give. Boy meets girl, they start a relationship. That relationship leads to marriage, a family is born, and so on and so on. Love gives out of overflow Love wants to give. And so out of the overflow of the triune's love, God gives creation. And out of the goodness of the triune relationship, God makes humans in his image. The creator of the universe himself does everything he does out of love. And if we are made in his image and out of an overflow of this love, shouldn't our singular motive be love as well? So why do Christians get such a bad rap for being unloving? That's like the one thing we're supposed to be. (laughs) And I know all of you right now, including me, we're thinking about other people. (laughs) Other Christians who have been unloving. (laughs) It's easy to hastily judge someone else. But the hardest person to examine is the person you see in the mirror. 
And so, again, examining our motives, it does not come naturally and it does not come easily, especially because we are born of the flesh whose innate desire is self, self self-interest, self-pleasure, self-promotion. So this takes intentionality. It takes intentionality, church. It takes thinking about thinking. We have to think about why we think about things the way we do and why we do the things that we do. All right, I can already see some of you glazing over. (laughs) I'm out. I don't want to think about thinking. Thinking is too hard. Just thinking. (laughs) But before you check out, let me ask you, why did God create us with minds that can think about thinking if we're not supposed to use them? Because did you know that we are the only, that this is the one thing that sets us apart from all other creation and all other living things? That we have the ability to imagine, we have the ability to think about what we are thinking. I'll bring it down a little bit more. So an animal, when an animal, let's say a fox, thinks, I'm hungry, it sees a rabbit and it starts running chasing the rabbit they don't stop and think why am i chasing this rabbit should i be chasing this rabbit does this rabbit have a family does this rabbit love jesus (laughs) they just think it i'm hungry and they do it they run they they go to find something to eat right there's no thinking in between We have a step in between as humans, as people. And humans are the only living things that can think of thought and then also think about and analyze that thought before we act on it and before we do it. And so with this superpower, yes, I call it a superpower, (laughs) um, mostly for the kids at home. We actually, <laughs> we actually have a book that your choices are a superpower. And I love it because it, it, it is. You can change the way things happen by your choices and by thinking about things before you do them. Which, again, humans have the, are the only thing on earth that can do that. And so with this superpower, we are able to take an introspective look at what truly motivates us. Did you know that Jesus himself submitted himself to this kind of examination? Jesus allowed his father to examine his heart and make sure his motive was right. In John 12, it says, from 27 to 28, if you want to follow with me, um, it says, as the time came for him to go to the cross, Jesus told Philip and Andrew, now my soul is deeply troubled. Should I pray? Father, save me from this hour. But for this very reason I came. So Father, bring glory to your name. Luke 22 recounts it. So that was John John 12 recounted it that way. Luke 22 recounts it this way. We see that Jesus did indeed pray that God might spare him from the torture to come. He knelt down and prayed, Father, if you are willing, please take this cup of suffering away from me. Yet, I want your will to be done, not mine. Jesus himself 
let God examine his heart. He said, this is what my flesh wants, God. My flesh does not want to go to the cross. My flesh sees what lies ahead of me, and it is horrible. But examine me. My heart is to love you, God, and so not my will, your will. And he submits himself. In Psalm 26, 2, the NLT says, Put me on trial, Lord, and cross-examine me. Test my motives and my heart. Psalm 139, 23 and 24 says, Search me, O God. I know you guys know this one. And know my heart. Test me and know my anxious thoughts. Point out anything in me that offends you and lead me along the path of everlasting life. Church, can we follow King David's example and ask God to align our hearts with his? And I want I want a little disclaimer because we will pray together. But if you ask God to search you, he will. So just know that. <laughs> and it's not a bad thing. But sometimes it takes removing of the old and shaving off the hardness of the heart or or weeding the things that have begun to grow that we didn't realize. But it always is worth it. It's always worth it. So let him examine you and allow him to shape your purpose into one singular motive, which is love. And so that we wouldn't be a people who have an agenda that go out and want to, we want to see this city saved. And yes, we do. But we want to do it with love, not because we're supposed to or because it's a checkbox or checklist. And so um, to do this, David asks God four things in Psalm 139. I'll try to wrap it up quickly. Sorry, I didn't realize what time it was. (laughs) Um, Number one, David asks God to search me, right? David says, search me, O God. The Bible says also in Jeremiah 17 that our hearts are deceitful because we are of the flesh. We are born of the flesh. And so our heart can want something that is selfish or for our best self-interest. And so we can be doing right things, but for the wrong reasons. And so David first says, search me, God. And then number two, he says, test me. This one's the rough one (laughs) because God will test us, and when we are tested, our true character and our true motives are revealed. When the heat gets turned up, the impurities rise to the surface. You see what you're made of when things get rough or when we are put to the test. And so David says, test me, God, so that, number three, you can point out my sin or my offensive way. Because God does this best. The Holy Spirit, in his conviction, is so sweet and gentle. And when he shows us something, it's not to point, point at us and say, look what you did, or how could you be doing this for this reason, or whatever it is. It's always a come back to me. Come back to your first love. Come back to the reason. And so the Holy Spirit will show you your wrong motive if you surrender to him. And then we allow him to pivot us in a different direction so that, number four, he can lead me. Lead me in the way everlasting. Mary, would you? Thank you. Um, Again, God is more concerned 
with why we do what we do and not necessarily that we get it done. And so when we ask God to lead us, we are surrendering ourselves. We are submitting ourselves to his will, just as Jesus modeled for us. That our flesh can want one thing, but we bring it before God and we say, but God, your will, not mine. And so um, I just, I want to pray over us, church, that um, that we would be a church that allows God to search us and test us and point out anything offensive so that we can be led by purpose and not by agenda. And our purpose is to love God and love others. Jesus said it so plainly. And we get caught up in all the other things that we're supposed to do, but it's really supposed to be very simple. And so... Um, if you would like God to search you, and if you just feel a conviction in your heart, maybe, or that there's just something that you want to give back to God and surrender to his will, um, would you stand, and we're going to pray together. Go ahead. You can go ahead and stand if you would like to pray this. Would you put out your hands? And repeat after me. Search me, O oh God. Test me and know my anxious thoughts. Point out any offensive way in me. And lead me in the way everlasting. Amen. Thank you, Jesus, for what you spoke to us this morning. For what you might be showing us in your sweet goodness and your sweet conviction and your desire for us to live live life the way you intended us to live it. God, show us this week who we can love better. Show us this week where we can turn from, from agenda to purpose. Show us this week where we can serve you out of an overflow of love, not because we're supposed to, but because we love you so much, God. That we would be a church whose motive is love. And that it would be felt and that it would ripple throughout the city, God. Because love is the only thing that is eternal. We thank you for this morning and pray a blessing over our church. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. See you next week, church.